Now, John, this is a pretty big show for us here at Viking Update and Talk North. But I don't know. I just I don't sense a lot of energy in the room. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna blame Brandon. Yeah, I, that's a great place to start. Um, let's definitely blame you know the the guy who's really actually doing all the work behind the scenes and has to toil and and do all those things and and let's pass off any kind of accountability from ourselves on this, please. Brandon, you got to bring it, man. You, you should, you should have like, I don't know, smelling salts, uh, maybe cocaine. I don't know. No, talk North is against cocaine, at least officially. Um, uh, you could have done something, a lot of coffee. I mean, why, how can you show up for a show this important and not care? Of course, what I'm doing is I'm making fun of the Minnesota Vikings for having a home game, potentially must win game against a playoff team that was coming off like a four day rest. And, Two of the two of the three players who showed up for interviews said that the locker room had no energy, which is confirmed by the fact that Mike Zimmer, the coach, got into one of the scrums before the game to try to instill some energy energy in his team. Man, this is becoming a really, really hard team to respect, man. It's it is tough to like, Jim. Um, when you look at kind of the the way that they came out for that game, what they say after the games, um, I, I just wonder if reality finally hasn't set in with this group and just, you know, people, you know, they kind of look at their team and they understand that it just isn't going to happen. And maybe that's a little bit harder for some Vikings teams to to stomach or, or whatever. But, um, you know, it, when you see kind of that sort of lack of urgency in a, an absolutely must-win game, when you hear Justin Jefferson, when you hear, you know, s- several of the players talk after the game about the the approach and about being flat or whatever it is, um, that's just, I mean, it's just not going to get it done. And, you know, sometimes um, players will do that as sort of a defense mechanism for, the real hard truth and it, to, to mask that. And that's that, look, we're just not good enough. And I think Justin Jefferson is good enough. I think maybe Anthony Barr is good enough. Maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, Harrison Smith, maybe they're Dalvin Cook when he's on the field. Maybe they have a few guys who are good enough. But in general, this team has proven time and time again that they are not good enough. And when you're not, um, you, that can be a hard pill to swallow and you go looking for other, other things to, to kind of put the blame on that said, it's hard to dispute that too, watching the way that they played that game. Right. Yeah. Uh, and listen, there are a lot of, a lot of tentacles to this. We're talking about Justin Jefferson, we're talking about cousins, the co the playoff situation, the COVID situation. This is the Viking update show. He's John Krasinski from the athletic. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune. Brandon Morton is our producer. And I only occasionally actually blame him for anything. Uh, because he kind of holds the whole thing together here, by the way, if you hear this in time, uh, John will be doing the John Krasinski show Monday night, the 27th at Tuttle's eat, play bowl and Hopkins. Uh, we're going to do a special happy hour pregame show, 5.30 to about you know, 6.15, 6.30. Come out. We will have giveaways. Tin Cup Whiskey will be there. Thanks to our, our long-running sponsors on this show, Star Bank and Pizza Barn. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at Talk North Pod. See all of our shows as they're released. You can find all the shows and the archives and the outdoor content at TalkNorth.com. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. So let, let's start off with the Justin Jefferson thing. Just because it's so obvious. Um, he breaks a record for most receiving yards, first two NFL seasons. He's obviously got two more games left. Uh, he breaks the record of Odell Beckham, who was on the field. And 
he was obviously frustrated he didn't get the ball more. He was obviously frustrated he didn't get the ball more in the red zone. And he didn't sound real happy with Kirk Cousins, although that was a little more subtle. And, you know, I wrote about it in the Monday Star Tribune. It's not that anything he said was all that inflammatory. It's not that he was sounded angry or he wasn't ranting. It's that to get to a place where a team that is still in playoff contention uh, has maybe its best player kind of ripping on everybody, that that feels dangerous to me. Because that's not just a that's not just a one day story. That's a is he gonna become the next Stefan Diggs, Percy Harvin, Randy Moss, who's gonna want to force his way out of here if they can't fix what they do? Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly it. And and you know, people might say, hey, this is alarmist, you know, slow down. You know, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson's under contract for a long time. You know, this is going to be fine. But it's the same people who kind of were saying, and, and I wrote it and several others wrote it kind of during the Diggs drama, mm-hmm. just saying like, look, this is wrong. Like, and whether you um, whether you agree with what Diggs was saying or not, whether you agree with what Justin Jefferson was saying or not, and I agree with you, Jim, I think it's important to say that Justin Jefferson's comments, his actions – much more muted than you know the mosses, the the harvins, the 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 digs of the world in in terms of like really laying down the foundation for an exit out of here. Um, so I don't want to you know I don't want to j- kind of make it sound like he's basically asking for a trade already. But what it is is uh, you know you have to get in front of these situations before they turn into something that is untenable before you cannot bring a player back from the cliff and whether that is kind of the, the, the team scheme and, and approach that way, whether it's the quarterback, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, what we do know right now is that Justin Jefferson is an elite talent and one of the picket, what four or five best receivers in the entire league. And so they need to do what they need to do to make sure that Justin Jefferson, who by all accounts is a good kid, hard worker, um, you know, kind of starting to emerge as a leader on this team so that he continues to want to lead this team and that he continues to understand that this organization is doing everything in its power to be really, really competitive. And I think that's what Diggs ultimately came to the decision on when he pushed his eject button was like, look, these guys aren't serious. If they want to run it this many times, if they want, you know, to have this quarterback, if they're giving this quarterback all this money to, to make plays, um, to make the offense go like, you're not really serious about winning. And so I need to go somewhere else. And that's what you don't want to have happen with Justin Jefferson. I think it's great that he's starting to express himself a little bit, that he is starting to be one of those guys that is not going to stand for mediocrity. Um, And so now it's up to the Vikings who made a great draft pick in selecting him to make the moves necessary to put the team around him that is going to make him want to stay here for a long, long time. And I think the other aspect of this that is important to mention for the most relevant context for all this is Justin Jefferson is not naive, and he didn't just say this off the cuff. Uh, Justin Jefferson works out with Odell Beckham and a bunch of NFL stars. He's friends with other NFL receivers. He has the LSU pipeline and fraternity. He knows 
how much power star players have. He knows that you can engineer an exit. Uh, he knows how all of this works. He And I thought it was very, almost more devastating the Vikings that he sat there and said all this in a very calm, rational tone of voice. It, it wasn't an emotional outburst. Mm-hmm. It was something he had thought about. Yeah, I think, and, and I think that it's, it, it makes all the sense in the world that um, he is probably looking at his situation right now and saying, look, I have had this record setting start to my career. I've done my job in a way and it hasn't been good enough. Um, and so that's when you start to look at, and this is not finger pointing. This is not him blaming everyone else and not putting any accountability on himself. I don't think that's the case at all. I just think that this is a guy who looks around and has won a national championship, has, has been, knows what it takes to compete at the highest level, then has had individual success at the NFL level, the way that no other receiver has before him. And he says, okay. I've done all of this. It's not good enough. That means that it's time to start demanding of our, the people around me, whether it's head coach, front office, quarterback, you know, offense, defense, all of those. It's time for him. You know, he's looking around and saying, you know, we all have to step up here. And, you know, and, and I do think that um, what he is probably trying to get across, if I can sort of read his mind and, and or at least kind of put myself in his position and, and think what I would be thinking, it's that um, we cannot be willing to settle for just okay. Um, and yes, there are some excuses with some of the guys that have been out and you know, some of the injuries on defense and all these things, but that's not, that's not going to, to be enough. I think that if you read between the lines with what he was saying, it really is pointing to the head coach, the quarterback, the two most important people in the organization, and really trying to say, look, we got to evaluate everything here and, um, and and make some vast improvements. Otherwise, we're going to continue to be stuck in the middle, which is where they are right now. They're a, they're not a dumpster fire. They're not. It's not a disaster. They are competitive in almost every game, but ultimately they are not good enough. And I think that is what Justin Jefferson is trying to get across that point. It's like, we cannot use any excuses. We have to just start um, really strongly evaluating every single part of this organization and what we need to do to take the next step, because this, this group as constructed is not doing that. And I do wonder if the Wilfs, uh, and I, listen, I am assuming that they're going to make a coaching change and, and a regime change here at the end of this year because I don't think they win at Green Bay. I think that puts them out of the playoffs, and I think that will be enough for the Wilfs to actually move on. I do wonder how the Wilfs handle hiring either the next head coach or the next offensive coordinator. Do you allow Justin Jefferson to be to have some say in it? Do you run it by him? Do you get to try to get a feel? Do you do it informally or formally? Because it's kind of a dangerous step to take. You start asking your employees who their boss should be, but if you don't do it, you could run into problems. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just if I'm the Wilfs now. Um, first, I've been Justin Jefferson. Now I get to be the Wilfs. Um, I don't know that I go as far as giving a very young receiver any kind of kind of say in who gets hired. But let's just look at the way that these processes usually go if they do move on from Mike Zimmer um, in general 
he's a defensive-minded veteran head coach. In general, they kind of swing the other way. Um, so I would imagine that there would be an effort to bring in someone who has a little more modern view of offense and look, taking a look at what the pieces that they have on offense and what they can do, what kind of moves they can make. He, you can say, all right, Justin Jefferson's our best offensive player, which he is. I think that we can say that beyond Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is an, is an incredible player, but he is not as available as Justin Jefferson has been. So that's where you got to start with Justin Jefferson, maybe Adam Thielen, maybe Irvin Smith comes back healthy. Maybe you look at this as a little bit more of a passing offense. And so you go find a, 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 either a head coach who believes in that and and has has done that as an offensive coordinator or or somewhere else or in some other role or you it doesn't even mean you can't bring in a defensive minded head coach but the, whoever the head coach is has to have I think a vision that maybe takes a little bit more advantage of Justin Jefferson maybe tries to maximize him even more and and really kind of tries to amp up the aggressiveness from uh, from a passing standpoint, um, I think that will definitely be again. If they make a move, I have to imagine that they will go looking for a replacement that has a different approach to doing things offensively than what Mike Zimmer had. Because again, Mike Zimmer has won a bunch of games here, has done has done a good job of making this team competitive, but it seems like there is a ceiling on this type of approach that makes it very difficult for the Vikings to kind of move into a contender status rather than just a kind of a playoff conversation point of view. So that's what I think will happen. I don't think that Justin Jefferson will be given, you know, they'll run it by him. Hey, who do you think, what do you think of this? Who do you think of that? But I do think that they will make changes with him in mind and trying to make the most out of him going forward. So they'll give Matt LaFleur $100 million to come over from Green Bay. Well, hey, if it'll work, it'll work. I mean, coaches are getting lots of money now in college and in the pros. So if you want to put your money where your mouth is, make it happen. Now, let's see what Matt LaFleur does here without Aaron Rodgers. That would be the right. big question. Yeah, I know. But, uh, but I'm just – I'm half joking. Uh, the point I'm making with that joke is that uh, the Vikings will obviously, because the way the NFL works, they will overreact to what didn't work. They will go for the sure. opposite, which is a young offensive coach. They will look, and Matt Fulfour is the one who's been kicking their butt, uh, not this year, mm-hmm. but uh, but in general, you know, in terms of division competition. They will look for the next Matt Lafleur, and that I we'll, well, we'll have plenty of time to talk about coaching searches. So I will I will table that discussion. One more note on Justin Jefferson: the other way he's different from other young receivers in the NFL, he played with Joe Burrow. He didn't play True. with Tim Tebow who was shot putting four-yard passes. He played with a guy who played like an NFL quarterback. He knows what it looks like. He does. He absolutely knows what it looks like. He knows um, what the kind of mentality. I mean, let's face it, Jim. Like, put Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins right next to each other. And, I mean, you can say, like, let's just say it. Like, Cousins, from a purely physical standpoint, arm strength, accuracy, uh, those kinds of measurable talents, you put those him right next to Joe Burrow, and I bet he beats Joe Burrow in a lot of those categories. Now, yep. Burrow's a little more mobile, um, but you talk about leadership, uh, moxie, 
uh, confidence, swagger, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, Joe Burrow is the guy that everyone gets behind. Like that's, I mean, that's a guy that, you know, people follow into the jungle without even thinking twice about it. And I just do think that, um, that Kirk Cousins just has not been that sort of guy that you rally around. Um, and that can sound wishy-washy and it can sound kind of in, you know, the intangibles and things like that. But look, that's, that is a real thing in an NFL huddle. And yes, Justin Jefferson spent a lot of time in that LSU huddle with Burrow. He saw how he carried himself. He looks at what the effect that Burrow is now having on the Bengals, this long suffering franchise that he is kind of reviving almost by himself. Um, and, and says, that's that's how you play quarterback in the NFL. And I just think that it is a stark contrast to the guy that he has in the huddle. Have you tried to call your bank lately? Do you bank locally? Star Bank is our bank at the Talk North Podcast Network. They're a family-owned local bank with branches across central and west central Minnesota. With Star Bank, you get all the bells and whistles you would expect from a bank these days. But they have no 800 number, no call center, and no confusing phone queue. You can even request your bank or cell phone number. That's how they operate. Star Bank is a true Minnesota family-run business. Check them out at starbank.net. Star Bank is a member FDIC and equal housing lender. And I myself am working with Star Bank on a project right now. I also want to thank Pizza Barn in Princeton. You know the deal. PizzaBarnPrinceton.com is the website. There is a tab on that website that will allow you to order the food truck to come to your event. The food out of the food truck is just as good as it is out of a pizza barn. And that's saying something. It's amazing. They can make a pizza out of a truck that tastes that good. They will make you a gluten-free pizza. They will make you sandwiches, hoagies, uh, cheesecake on a stick, all kinds of goodies. Uh, my wife has used it for her work events. People all across the Twin Cities and all across Minnesota are using it. They're going to add another food truck. They've been so successful. So if you're in Princeton, stop by the pizza barn. If you're not, order the food truck, uh, pizzabarnprinceton.com is the website. All right, let's get to, uh, I don't want to go heavy on COVID today. I'm kind of so sick of the topic. So let's, let's go here. I think the Rams game was a sneaky loss in this way. If I had told you on Saturday that the Vikings are going to lose 30 to 23 to the Los Angeles Rams, I think your reaction would have been what my reaction would have been, which is like, okay, well, it makes sense. They got beat outscored by a, a better team, right? It, it happens. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm-hmm. the way things should go. Yeah, 11-4, and four, good team, right. heading to yeah. the playoffs, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you watch the game, and if you watch the game, I think you have to be, and you're a Vikings fan or you look at it from a Vikings perspective, I think you have to be, you have to consider it a bad loss because they could have won that game, uh, whether it was energy or just execution or intelligence or coaching or whatever, or gumption, they could have won that game because Matthew Stafford couldn't throw the ball downfield. He is, I guarantee right. you, he is hurt. Uh, that one play they ran, it's an old Joe Gibbs play. Uh, play action power right, play action power left, setting up like the counter tray where everybody's pulling and moving left. You play fake to the left with a power running fake, bootleg right, have an H back or somebody there for protection, stand there for a second, and then throw way deep down the field left. That Joe Gibbs invented that play. He won Super Bowls with it. It's been used by a bunch of – it's basically kind of the ultimate power-running, play-action, deep-pass pattern in the NFL. And Stafford had Beckham running a little bit behind two defenders, but it was going to require a long, high, perfect throw to have a chance. He threw it about 15 yards short, 
and flat. He got no air under it, and that was standing there throwing as hard as he could. I guarantee you uh, he underthrew Beckham by 10 yards and another down, uh, down right. They generally, after that, didn't have him throw downfield. Almost all of his throws were underneath. He's hurt. The Vikings lost to a beat-up quarterback who can't throw the ball yesterday, and they lost to a backup running back who ran it right down their throats, and they lost because they couldn't cover a punt. This was a very winnable game. Very, very winnable game. I mean, you, you, you I mean, they turned the Rams over three times, right? Three yeah. interceptions and twice and, on, on, you know, inside put, the eleven yard line, right, right on the doorstep, right? Yeah, right on the doorstep. Um, and, and so you, you have to win those games, like. There's just no other way around it. Um, I, I was, you know, I was actually driving home from um, from a family Christmas, and so I, before kind of watching it back, like I, um, I uh, was listening to it on the radio, and and Pete Bursich just was kind of beside himself, wondering why the Rams were throwing the ball so much, um, I mean, so much success on the ground. And, you know, it, it was, it was kind of just a, an eye-opening experience to hear Bursich really questioning Sean McVay, who most people believe is a really smart, sharp, you know, offensive mind and, and a good head coach. And, but that's the way that it was when you, when you watched him too, he just, he does not look like he has any zip on some of his throws. He can't move around very well. Um, and the turnovers that he provided should have been able to – the Vikings should have been able to do more damage with those than they did. They scored the one touchdown. They had to settle for a field goal. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, it, it was not a case where the Rams came in with this star-studded cast and just blew the doors off the Vikings because they played so well and they were just so difficult to handle. That wasn't it at all. I mean – you know, he, he, you know, Stafford just could not, could not get the ball down the field. Um, you know, yeah, they had the backup running back. Odell Beckham is like, let's face it. Like he's not what he once was. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, the, I saw at the end of the game, Sean McVay, when they got the final field goal to put them up 10 again, um, uh, and, and kind of really kind of salted away. Like Vic McVay was given a, a, an emphatic fist pump on the side line and you could just tell that he was like wow this was a battle you know we we survived it essentially they didn't go out and win it they just survived it because the vikings were not able to take advantage of all of the miscues that were presented to them and that's again like you know it it, it stinks to keep harping on it but this is the kind of game that you need your franchise quarterback to go out and win for you. And they just were not able to do that. I can fix the Vikings. All they need is Odell Beckham. He yeah. has won. He's 2-0 and <laughs> this year in U.S. Bank Stadium playing with two guys who couldn't throw the ball. How, how much How much greater sure. could Odell Beckham be? And that, that's exactly right. Maybe, yeah, maybe he maybe he is the secret sauce. He just, he loves playing here. He, what he had, okay, he had four, four catches, 37 yards in the touchdown. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his numbers certainly could have been a lot better had Stafford hit him. But the problem is you bring him in here, like who's throwing to him? So like his cousin's going to be your guy. And is that is that the one? Or do we got to go get someone else? Is Kellen Mond going to be the one to do it? My point is that Odell Beckham just makes quarterbacks better. That's that's my entire point. Oh, it could uh, be. Well, yeah. he did. Yeah. Did he do that with Baker Mayfield? Eh. Uh, 
okay, okay. You know, let's not examine that too quickly. I just wanted to say it and get away from it. I was just dropping a little bomb there. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, other, the other interesting thing, to get mm-hmm. to your serious point here, McVay did say after the game that he thought he put Stafford in some bad situations. And I, and he's been – McVay's been very interesting. In NFL coach, Every NFL team handles injuries in their own way. And McVay has been tiptoeing around telling everybody that Stafford's hurt. He's like – he's wanted – to make to let people know that Stafford is not himself without coming out and saying that Stafford is hurt and should be on the injury report and without giving other teams reason to think that they can knock him out of the game with a good hard hit. So he's been playing a game and I thought that was a clear sign of the game. He said I put I put Stafford in some bad situations. Well, he put Stafford in some situations where Stafford actually had to throw an NFL pass 20 yards downfield and Stafford can't do that right now. Yeah, you know, like Hearing um, McVeigh say that, it really kind of sounds like a coach who is doing everything he can to cover for his guy. Yep. Um, they, you know, they, everyone knew that, hey, we, we trade Jared Goff, bringing in Stafford. Everyone believed that this was going to be just the last piece of the puzzle that the Rams needed, that it was going to be so far and away a better situation with Stafford at quarterback than Goff. Maybe again, and he, I'm, I'm sure that. Stafford is definitely better than Goff, but it certainly hasn't been the, to the degree that everyone expected. And some of that could absolutely be health re- related. And if that is the case, the Rams do deserve some scrutiny there because Stafford was beat all the heck throughout his Detroit uh, career. And so you had to wonder if you were getting damaged goods when you made that that deal. But whether it was from p- previous injuries or whether he got hurt during this season even more so and hasn't been able to recover or he's just on the decline. He's just older. He doesn't have it as much. This, it just smells to me like a coach that is not going to say, well, my guy can't get it done. Uh, It's I got to be better for him. I'm going to fall on the sword and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put him in better spots and I got to call better plays and all those things. That's very noble of um, that's very, that's very noble of Sean McVay, but uh, but I don't know, like it, it, it's hard to decipher whether that is absolutely the truth and nothing but the truth, or if it's just kind of look, Matt Stafford is who he is right now. And, um, the Rams are going to have to get ultra creative going forward if they're going to try and win a Super Bowl because they are all in make no mistake. Like they, this is a team that needs to win the Super Bowl in the next year or two for all of these gambles that they have taken with trading draft picks, with bringing in all these stars. Um, yeah, that's what that's what this is all designed to do. And uh, I think they might have a little bit of a tough road ahead of them, just given how diminished that Stafford looks from a performance and a health related standpoint. Yeah, they're somewhere between the third and sixth best team in the NFC right now, and that's not what they're they, – they didn't build this to be a playoff team. They built this to be a championship team, and it is not a championship team. Uh, let's get to uh, – we're going to wrap this up with Kirk Cousins. All right, season totals, almost 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, the numbers, as always, are, are good. Uh, he had his season-defining game, you would hope, in that victory over Green Bay. At that point, uh, his numbers were ridiculously good. He had beaten the Chargers on the road and the Packers at home in consecutive games. Uh, everything was looking good. They kind of, It looked like they had salvaged their ability to win in this season. Since that high-water moment, the Vikings are 2-3. and three. 
Cousins did not play very well at San Francisco, threw a bad interception, they lose. He lost to the Lions, even while putting up good numbers. Uh, he contributed to his team almost blowing a 29-point halftime lead in a kind of embarrassing victory against the Steelers, and he only completed 14 of 31 passes through two interceptions in that game. Uh, at Chicago in a horrible game, 12 for 24, 87 yards, an interception, and then against the Rams, good completion percentage, good yardage, but he threw another interception, wasn't good in the red zone. So really, the last five weeks, he has been bad Kirk. He has thrown five of his seven interceptions on the season in the last five weeks. This is not this is not trending in the right direction, especially when you're heading to Lambeau. No, definitely not. And I mean, you just kind of look at, you know, look at the drive summary to just to start the game. Uh, punt, interception, punt, punt. Then a field goal. They had to settle after they got uh, they got, you know, unbelievable field position like that's. And then it's the end of the half like that's not anywhere near good enough in a game of this magnitude. You know, you're playing a team that has a lot of talent. You know, you're scratching and clawing for your entire life and, and for your playoff lives. And, um, and this is going to be an incredible challenge. And that's how you, that's how you come out as, you know, and some of that, maybe some of that's Kubiak. Maybe some of that is a little bit of Dalvin cook being out, but guess what? Like teams are playing shorthanded all over the league and you still have Jefferson Jefferson. Yes. Thielen got hurt again and couldn't, couldn't make it, but like you still have, you still have enough playmakers that you have to be able to make things happen. And, you know, yes, they, they mounted a comeback in the second half and cousins made some really good throws, but it's too late by then. Like you get to, there's a constant among his games, against quality competition is the the Vikings get down early and then they kind of play either desperation or the opponent opposing defense relaxes a little bit and then they kind of get back into it and Cousins gets his numbers and it ends up looking not so bad but ultimately the game was lost for them in the first two quarters yep, when they just the couldn't get anything done by the offense yep. absolutely and those are the opportunities where you need to get in, you need to score quickly, you need to get a lead so you can put your shorthanded defense in a much better position to kind of go and attack the Rams. And they just were not able to do that. And, you know, fairly or unfairly, that falls on the on the, on the the starting quarterback. Like, that's the guy who has to set the tone, who has to make the throws, who has to kind of raise the level of the people around him. And he just has not done that enough in his time here. Let's get a final thought from John. Thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. We do have the best sports lineup in Minnesota. We have uh, Michael Russo, Cheryl Reeve, Anthony LaPanta, John Krasinski, John Millay, Jeff Diamond, Roy Smalley, Lavelle Neal. Uh, we have Travis Frank. We have uh, Ron Shara, we have great outdoor content. We're going to be adding some new shows this year. We do appreciate everyone listening and supporting our sponsors. Thanks also to our great sales executive, Karen Cleary. Let's get a final thought from John. Uh, final thought. I, I will say um, that I was incredibly impressed with Anthony Barr. Um, it, it, it is a, you know, he's a player who has obviously been through an incredible amount from a health standpoint, from an injury standpoint. And really, over the last few years, he has been a player who I have kind of talked about on this podcast several times saying, look, 
I want – it's good that he does the little things uh, that Mike Zimmer wants to kind of really kind of be the glue that holds that defense together, at least holds that front seven together. But for a player of his caliber, of his salary, of his veteran status, I want my guys to do big things. And to get those, you know, those couple interceptions early on to try and, you know, get his team uh, in position – to 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 jump out quickly, uh, that was a that was a man sized performance from Anthony Barr. And yes, they got run on later in the game and things like that. But um, I thought that you know when you're looking around at a bunch of the guys who underperformed and underwhelmed in a big moment there, I really did think that Anthony Barr rose to the occasion as best he could and really tried to kind of put the team on his back and 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 put them in a position. And so. I think he deserves kudos for that. I thought it was great to start, and it just wasn't enough uh, for, to get the rest of his teammates going toward it. He had three career interceptions. Then he had two interceptions in the first half. And my critiques of Anthony have been that if you're going to pay a linebacker, it's got to be a splash linebacker. It's got to be somebody who makes big plays, and he doesn't get a lot of sacks. He doesn't usually get a lot of interceptions. Uh, so, you know, so yeah, he did what. I would hope he would do more often. He did play well. Here's the other thing. Let, let's say this too, because we're, we're ripping on this team as a whole and they deserve it. But is it, you know, when you rip on an NFL team, it doesn't mean that everybody in that room deserves criticism. There are always players who play really hard. There are always players who are great people. And Anthony Barr is beloved by his teammates. He does a lot of good work in the community. He had a good game. So this is a good day to praise Anthony Barr. Absolutely. Walter Payton, man of the year nominee yep. for the, uh, for the Vikings, you know, he's, he is a warrior, like you, you, for whatever kind of, you know, if if it's a case, and I, I'll put myself in this category, I, I always kind of have walked away wanting more from Anthony Barr from a production standpoint. Yep. Um, but from a leadership, uh, from a, you know, kind of pain endurance, from a, from a you know, a, a community standpoint, all of that stuff, I mean, he's been everything they could have asked for and more. Like he is absolutely revered in that locker room uh he is not a look at me kind of a guy he's very quiet he goes about his business and does everything that he can and so that absolutely should be commended no doubt good stuff from john thank you to brandon thank you for listening if you were out and about on monday night come by tuttles and hopkins 5 30 to about 6 30 with john krasinski for the john krasinski show that's our timberwolves and nba show on uh on the network and we will be Make sure that the uh, Timberwolves game is on all the big screens at Tuttle's Sports Bar and Bowling Alley there. Uh, Once again, hope to see you, and thanks for listening.